Good afternoon, beautiful people. I'm keeping all my content free of charge so there's complete transparency so everyone can get the benefit of all the information. This is a completely independent podcast, but any monetary support is greatly appreciated. Click the support this podcast link at the end of the episode description for more details. Now back to the show. Good afternoon, beautiful people. Please check out our previous episodes with Martin Herpetian Wilson, Constance Every, Ben Sadagatfar, Margaret Kimberly, Jay Carrico, Spike Cohen, and now Jay Clark. Please tell all your family and friends about Kegos Free Thinkers Forum. Enjoy the rest of the show. Man, I want to talk a little bit about, um, not a little bit, I want to talk, I do want to get some into your Jay Clark. You got about a half hour? Yeah, I'm, I'm okay. free, man. Yeah. I want to talk some about Jay Clark real mindset. I knew you said you didn't want to talk about your podcast per se, but I feel like it's my um like it's my honor to be with you right now. Like you got me into this whole space. Like I, I never would Thank have you. done podcasting if it wasn't for you because and, and really Bruce Jackson, um, who's a family member of yours, like he he told me that you guys um weren't really in touch a whole lot, but you guys were related, you know, blood related. Yeah. And um that's how I got, you know, my foot into the podcasting thing, you know, on the cusp of the George Floyd mm. protest and Breonna Taylor, everything else. Because I wouldn't be doing this and maybe I wouldn't have discovered myself more. I, I definitely felt like this last two years, two and a half years, I've broken out of my shell even more than I had before. Mm. Um what is Jay Clark's real mindset? Um, what's been sort of the metamorphosis of that project? What has it become compared to what it was when it first started? That's an awesome, an awesome question. Um, so as you know, when I actually started my podcast, The Journey, as Undefeated Bears, I was, uh, I was, it was a sports podcast. Oh, and it wow. was, you know, I was, I was hype on the season that year. We had a, the little roster we were formulating and I had speaking ability. Um, and it was something I was passionate about. So I put together a small podcast and it had a little following, um, something I didn't even appreciate at the time. And I just really, I, was, I mean, I was recording on my phone. I was working 50 hours a week. I'm literally recording like as I'm driving around at work and like stitching it together after work, just uploading it, just really, just really hobbyish type of deal, just talking about football. Um, but when I started Black Voice, that was actually in response to the George Voice, uh, the George Floyd situation. Um, I was emotionally impacted by that. I watched the full video. I seen just the impact that it had on myself, my community, my family. And that spurred me to speak more on the political realm, on the activist realm. Over time, I started getting challenges from people, from Black people. And it wasn't like all at once. It was just maybe once every other month, someone would say something I didn't like how it sounded. And I didn't want to be pinned to any type of political outlook, mindset, position on a topic because I was Black. I didn't want to have to- Is that what you were getting from them? Yeah, and I I didn't want to have to represent uh, the whole community or have individuals feel like that's what I was trying to do. You know, the Black voice was made as a platform to give Black people to speak originally about the impact that George Floyd had on them. 
and it evolved into a platform for people to speak as themselves outside of their traditional work environment. I wanted to hear from the secretary and the challenges she faces with being a black secretary in a corporate environment. I wanted to talk to the corporate manager that's a black corporate manager in that environment, the black doctor, the black dentist, the black preacher. I wanted to talk to all of these different types of people and get their perspective on being black in the spaces that they're in to open up more younger black people's minds to being in those spaces. You know, we can still succeed in those spaces, but there's challenges that come with it. This is what they are. So that's what the Black Voices true vision was. And maybe publicly, I never did a great job of explaining that. I didn't really know what I was doing. But over time, I just wanted to drop that. Um, so J. Clark Real Mindset really came out of me being my true self, my true authentic. I don't have to pin myself to this political issue or speak on this current event or have to go this way because of who I'm representing. I'm only representing myself at the end of the day. Um, and I, I do I do hold on to, I have an impact on people around me, man. Um, I see myself as a mentor. I'm growing as a mentor, uh, attaching myself to higher mentors so I can do a better service to the people who are following me. And people, people attached to my mindset, you know what I'm saying? It's not I'm not the best looking dude. You know, I'm not loaded with money. My oh, don't family say that, isn't. man. Come on, dude. I'm, I'm saying I, I'm, hard I'm, on yourself, man. I'm yeah. a, I, ain't, I ain't no Denzel, <laughs> but I, I, I do my thing. But, you know, I, I'm not just some public figure, per se. People attaching me because of the way I think and how I express mm -hmm. myself. Um, so that's where the mindset portion came of it. And the real was like really a play on words. You know, real is a popular right now in social media, but um, it's really the R-E-A-L. I can only be myself, authentic, true to myself. I ain't, I ain't getting paid by nobody. I'm not sponsored by nobody. I don't have to speak. I'm not under a corporate umbrella anymore. You know what I'm saying? So it's just about being myself um, and being authentic to who I am. To some Damn, you don't even have an anchor sponsorship? Nah, man. Not yet. Not yet. Yeah. Not yet. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I ran with that motherfucker, man, once they said that shit under the money oh the little all oh, the little the little oh yeah 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 you know you know that the little anchor but, but, I mean, but you still independent i mean i still consider myself an independent podcast just like yeah. you know it's not like we have this big ass production company you yeah. know running stuff with us you talk with your brother on there too yeah that's, the that's, oh man and that, those are the dopest conversations i have i ain't gonna lie because i I got into the podcast space before I even knew I could succeed in it or knew I could do it consistently. And being able to bring my brother on, who neither one of us are really public, you know what I'm saying? Um, neither one of us really like crave for that public attention or public allure. We just are at the point, we had this conversation in his office at his agency where we have so much to share and so much value to add that we have a responsibility to do so. So being able to have a platform to bring him on and have just in-depth conversations on our journey and our goals and our challenges that we overcame, like that's the dopest experience I've had in podcasts and in media. Like we haven't recorded in a couple of weeks, which is a long time for us, but those are the most impactful conversations I even have because I learned from my brother and as little bro, for me, I'm able to share with him and he learns from me, like, that's what it's all about. And we're able to put those conversations out in the public realm on top of that. 
So mm-hmm. it's just a win. It's a win-win all around uh, once I get Big Bro on the line. Oh, yeah, man. That's a win-win. Wonderful. Yeah, I've been listening to your episodes, and I just love the way you guys are so casual. Like, you have something with – there's a bunch of people in there with you. Like, are those just, like, some of your friends? You guys and, are, like, hanging out on a couch and just, like, chopping it up about different uh, stuff? You mean um, that's uh, real nonsense. Yeah, what is that? Yeah, that's uh that's me and my boy JC, uh my boy Ruben. We actually did a we were doing we were going pretty strong for about a year. Uh, my boy JC actually moved to Los Angeles. Shout out to him. He's doing his thing out there in music. But that's just uh JC, me and John Carr, shout out to him. We have very similar mantras where we go against the grain a lot. You know what I'm saying? We speak our mind. Um, we don't necessarily side with the public opinion for better or worse. A lot of the time it's checking our own people like, hey, let's not throw stones at this person or let's support this person. Um, but we like to have open dialogue on I love- mm-hmm. understanding it. And to, to outside looking in, some people might think like, oh, they always want to be right. Oh, they always want to debate this and that. But mm-hmm. in the in the basis of it, we truly just want to learn from other people. We want our ideas challenged. That's how we put them out there. We mm-hmm. don't do it to to say that this is the only way to think. We do it for the backlash so we can grow and learn. You know, mm-hmm. if we hung around people that agree with us all day, we wouldn't. There's no prog- there's no progress in that anywho. So mm-hmm. with real with real nonsense. Oh man, we got into some deep some deep conversations even about. Even about Jay-Z, man, that's one of the most heated debates we had. Um, I have to go back and, and listen to that. When I saw, I know you guys talk a lot about hip-hop and the industry. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it came it came from Jay-Z starting in the streets. And the big debate was, is Jay-Z a drug dealer or is he a rapper? And my stance on it was Jay-Z is a businessman. He's a businessman. He's a, he's mm-hmm. a businessman, an opportunist, a capitalist, whatever you want to call him, but... He's, he's no a, different than he's no different than these um the Pfizer people. I mean, how's he any different? I mean, how, how are we gonna hold that against him? You know, he's just trying to make a living, you know. Yeah, what they mm-hmm. what I always say, man, if you're not if you're not out selling Walgreens or CVS, you don't run a block. Let's, let's be clear. <laughs> if you're not out selling Walgreens in your neighborhood, you're not running the block. <laughs> so man, yeah, those, those are great conversations, though. That on that platform. Uh, I miss those, you know what I'm saying? But conversations like this are very similar where we can throw out ideas. We both want to stand on what we believe in and, and challenge each other, you mm-hmm. know, and that's what it's all about. Yeah. Um, and I want to say that, man, I, I 100% support all your endeavors. Um, I didn't want to come across earlier as um, being combative or anything. It's more so um, I punch up always. It's always um, the system itself that I sort of have issues with, but the people themselves, they, everyone has to find their own way. But I, but, but I will say as far as um, Black liberation, my views towards the end um, and your views towards the end, it'll kind of come at full circle what I was getting at earlier about why I'm frustrated with the, those kind of people that are up top and how I feel like if things were a different way, maybe we would see a lot more progress um, being made you know, in the black communities, when we talk about black liberation, I wanted to touch you um, a little bit on um, your experience with um, Olivet Nazarene. You said that um, overall, would you say it was a positive experience? Ooh, 
it was it was a growing experience and i i went through some i i can put it all out there i, I was suspended from all of it um i wasn't i wasn't doing what i needed to do i was following the wrong crowd in a way um kind of doing my own thing and i was i was very very rebellious to all of it you know so in hindsight i could have done a better job at fitting in but what did we start this conversation as? I'm a misfit, you know what I'm saying? So Olivet, man, it was a place where they did want you to truly conform to who they were. Mm. Um, and if you didn't fit who they were, they ousted you. I'm being completely honest. If you didn't fit who they were, <clears throat> they either physically ousted you by removing you from the school or ostracized you to the way that you felt like you didn't belong there. So people who didn't fit who they were, mm -hmm. they weren't included within the community and they weren't, the student body and the staff weren't shy to make you feel like you weren't included in the community. Mm -hmm. um, when I first came in as a freshman, there were minimal black folks, but as I grew through the school, going to senior year, my fifth year there, there were more and more black folks, but it was all based on a grant. You know, and I've I've heard this, I've I've heard this from first hand sources, third, third hand sources. There was a grant involved where they were giving money to underprivileged youth and communities to come to the school. <clears throat> Excuse me, I've been I've been talking 24 hours straight, but they were using this grant money for you know individuals who couldn't necessarily get to the school and they had a higher risk of leaving, but the school got to keep the money obviously after the grant was paid out. So Mm. It seemed like they were taking these high risk on all these individuals, bringing them in in waves from Chicago, from, you know, other, other, you know, underprivileged communities, wherever they were bringing them from, but they weren't fully disclosing Kiko. They weren't fully disclosing who they were. So a lot of these kids came to the school with complete culture shock. You can't drink, you can't smoke, zero Are tolerance. Are you serious? Why, why is that? Is it religious? They're, it's, they're Nazarene school. Um, so it, the thing is, I and when I first started to get wind of this and get way with this, I was disgusted by what was going on because as I grew through that school, I would see these kids come from Southside Chicago, come from certain areas in Kankakee, come from Peoria, come from Gary, wherever they were from, and they were all being brought to the school in waves, and they were completely culture shocked at the actual rules and the structure of the school. So I'm talking about zero tolerance. Um, you know, it's a college, but drinking, smoking, uh, curfews, you know, curfews for freshmen, especially in the upperclassmen too. You had to be in your room at, I think, midnight during the week and one o'clock on the weekend. Was so, it you know, segregated by sex? It was, yeah, absolutely. Uh, no, no code, no co-dorms, yeah. anything. Uh, males and females completely separate away from each other as far as dormitories. You could not go into a woman's room. She could not come into your room. They had, wow. what was it called? Open door hours or something of that nature where mm. there was like 7, 7 p.m. to 11 p.m. I think a couple of days during the week, you could have the opposite sex in your room, but the door had to be open. Your wow. feet had to be on the floor. Like this is what, but they didn't disclose any of this to probably 80 to 90% of the people that they were giving these grants and scholarships out to. These people were coming to this environment getting ostracized or physically literally kicked out of the school because they weren't hip to what they were getting into. So mm. my distaste with Olivet comes from that. I have my own situation where I made some wrong choices and got suspended 
ended up coming back and getting my degree. And I'm thankful and blessed for that. But what they did to so many people, so many, you know, friends, peers um, that I saw go through that and get ousted out of the school. I, I, have, I just have a, a serious distaste in my mouth for it. Um, because that's no different than the capitalist society that we live in. Like they, they were looking at these kids as nothing but numbers. They knew they had to get mm. a certain number of people to get this grant, to get this scholarship from the government or whoever the hell they were getting it from. Mm. They filled those numbers and let the kids go at the first time that they didn't align with what they believed in. So, you know, I, I'm, <laughs> I definitely got a distaste in my mouth for the school. I'm thankful that I got my paperwork from them and I, you know, I put that on, on applications when I need to, or I'll brandish it when I need to in certain environments. But y'all know y'all wrong, if I can say that publicly. I, I want to apologize to a lot of my friends that I went to UT with, like my colleagues especially. Um, I, I've never shared this with a lot of people before, but I say that I say that with less than a third of the people in that whole department, I actually showed the true Kiko who he was. Mm. Um, and those people know who they are because um, I've had private conversations with those people um, about this particular topic. Um, I guess the cold word would be um, you are on the journey with me, you know, in this PhD program. And so that's kind of the code that I have with people who were, they had my back the whole time when I was at UT, like we did the journey together and those people know who they are. That's all I'll say about that. But, um, I got to you, man, it was a pretty messed up experience from a master's to the grad, only because um, I think the way the university sees us, and I'm talking about Black people, especially, I can't speak for anybody else. This diversity word is used too much. Diversity is used too much. Mm. Uh, there's a, I just take a thousand people even if it's 30 black people, that's still 970 fucking people who aren't like you visually. They don't look like you per se. And I don't want to hear this about, oh, and we're all the same. No, it, no, it's, no, we're not. We're not all the same. Our experiences aren't the same. I don't feel the same when I'm on campus and I'm there, you know, we're all educated. I still don't feel the same there. I'm going across the pedestrian walk there and it's just like a sea full of white people. I'm not even lying. That that's it's it's like I'm talking, I'm having three conversations with myself when I'm walking, and it's just mm. a sea full of white people. But then it's like I click on the front page of UT Nelson's website, and oh, they have man. a black person, an Asian person, a Middle Eastern person. I'm like, get yeah. the fuck out of here with that shit. Because when I'm on campus, it's not like that at all. And then you have the issue with goddamn the football team. It's like they get their own university to themselves, the football team. That lettuce departments have their own university, and it's just the rest of us. We're just all here doing our thing, and these motherfuckers are making the money for the university. Uh, people go through this stuff, and then just imagine being a black football player that doesn't necessarily have those views like the rest of the university life. Mm. I don't think a lot of people consider that for a black person in general when they're at a school like UT Knoxville that's advertises this diverse state school public school it's a flagship school you know everyone goes to ut Knoxville. big orange bleed orange but it's really man it's when you get there on campus it's not really like that and when you're in a foreign language department when you're one black person out of 200 people 
in a department. It's like it's 15 of y'all and it's 185 other people. It's just not, it, it doesn't yeah. feel comfortable. And when your politics don't align, you even feel more distance, you know? And so what message has really been sold to you once you get to that environment? Kind of going to what you were saying. Yeah, and I, I have a perfect, a perfect answer for that. And Olivet's mantra, Olivet's quote of the, this is what they say is, we believe you belong here. Now think about everything I just said. They, <laughs> that's what they preach. We believe you belong here. And their site is the same way where you see just the different nationalities all displayed over the site. And I was a, I was, I was a victim of it. Two instances my senior year as I was going out of the school, there was a big job fair convention where you know, I went in, I wasn't suited up, but I had my dress shirt on, nice pants, nice shoes. And I was in a very deep conversation with a gentleman from, I think it was a bank or whoever, an insurance company, whoever it was. And we were in very deep dialogue and someone caught a picture of it, uh, campus photography. That picture was used to advertise the next job fair. So I was on the, on the website and on the job fair little brochure in this deep conversation, you know, two, two black men in deep conversation at that displayed on Olivet's job fair little brochure ad and I took a little offense to it I'm like y'all don't even like us like that second instance <laughs> I'm on stage walking across the stage I shook the president's hand and I remember that moment after going through what I went through to come back into school get my paperwork and graduate I remember that moment like I remember that handshake I stopped I looked at his eye shook his hand and it was an impactful moment for me that picture once again was captured and it was used in like the post-grad little Olivet advertisements and it was in the yearbook it was in the yearbook and this and that and it was just like I didn't have that type of experience at Olivet where I should be used in these in these advertisements and public you know mm -hmm. propaganda posts and all this stuff mm -hmm. and it was just another another just distasteful moment for me where I'm just like damn 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 Olivet man <laughs> damn Olivet strikes again yeah it's um but see, that kind of goes into the conversation we had with uh, Margaret Kimberly, um, which is episode five, I believe. It's crazy. I don't even know what damn episodes I have now. It seems like I just keep pumping them out. But Margaret yeah, Kimberly, Black Agenda Report, we were talking about these Black faces in high places. You know, I was saying that, mm. I was telling her that Obama, Kamala Harris, these kind of people, this this is what Blackface is now. Like, I... And people think it's a joke. Well, you know, I told you about that on the last episode we did that I did on there on your platform where I doubted most of my friends even listen to it because it's too much for them to take in. At because the time. Want, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. you go back and listen to that shit now, like, oh, gosh, like maybe he was on to something. Man, fuck the trends. It's like, just say what's on your mind. And it's just like, honestly, dude, fuck these people. It's just... I'm tired of being used by them, the symbols. And it's just, and I think that's what you kind of realize too, even with the Black Lives Matter movement is just, I mean, what have we gotten since George Floyd was murdered? We got some Confederate statues taken down. We got some shit wrote down on the streets, but what did black people really get back in return? There was no uh, police return. There was no police reform. Like what, what happened after that? substantially I guess from a substance standpoint for black people I think it's going to take time to see that but I do think there was some internal 
because of the trauma that we saw, like with our face, I do think there was some internal type of movement where people decided from that point, I'm going to be free, you know, and there's, it's not all public, you know what I'm saying? But it might not be as public as, as I think it is so far, as far as the movements that we're having underground in the black community, but man, I ain't gonna lie to you, man. I think 20 years from now, it's gonna be a new landscape. And I think it's gonna be overwhelming for America to see what's actually happening right now, like within, within some of the black business spaces, within some of the black social spaces, within the HBCU community. I think it's gonna be overwhelming for America to a certain point where there's gonna be a revolt. Um, I'm gonna call it what it is. The poor, the poor white man is gonna to start to be very uncomfortable, very uncomfortable when it's not the rap star anymore. It's not, it's not the ball player anymore that's walking around confidently, chin up, chest up, knowing who he can be. It's the black businessman, it's the black lawyer, it's the black politician to a certain point, it's the black preacher. I got aunties, I got parents, I got elders who I look up to within our community who are kind of still living in the past, are kind of still living in the fear and the mantra that we can't, but I can, I can speak for my generation because I'm around them and I'm connected to them and I work with them and I move with them. We are over it, man. Like I'm 27 years old, man. And I can tell you there's people six years younger than me, eight years younger than me that are teaching me, like teaching me paths to freedom, um, teaching me mindset, teaching me mental, emotional intelligence, teaching me spirituality, teaching me to not eat certain foods and to eat other certain foods. There's a, there's a true movement happening among young black people in this country that mm -hmm. is gonna scare a lot of people. Um, and we don't speak about it. That's why I don't, I don't necessarily promote my podcast as much as I used to. Because it's like the people who are aligned on our path are going to come and do what we do and make the impact. And the ones who aren't, won't. You know, it's the people who are within these spaces are almost past the point of trying to coerce people to think like us. Because that's not our goal. Our goal is individual freedom. And we find the people who have those same similar goals and we move with them. Mm -hmm. um, so if I can say, if I can sum that up, man. They talk bad about millennials or they try to, but if I want to blank, use that blanket term, black millennials, black 20 somethings, young 30 somethings, young 20 somethings, I'm telling you, man, it's, it's some, it's some hitters out there, man. Young bulls. Like I'm talking 18, 20 years old. Like we're shaking, we're shaking the ground right now. And 20 years from now, 30 years from now, I think we're going to see some fruits, man. And I don't think, and I go back to America not existing in a hundred years. I don't think America's going to be cool with it. And I think there's going to be some type of revolt and some type of separation where things are going to get interesting. <laughs> things okay. are going to be very interesting. I'm glad you brought this up. I want to talk. I want to talk a little bit about that. We're concluding about the next twenty, if that's okay with you. For sure. I um. I want to talk a little bit about that. Um, I didn't think we were going to bring the R word into this, which <laughs> I always get excited when people bring this word into things, but. Um, I don't think it's a whimsical fantasy. I think it's something that's going to happen. Mm. The question is how the method of it. I don't know. I don't know if it's going to be done in, in a civil way. I think it's almost impossible for it to be done in a civil way. 
um, especially with the way people are discouraging dialogues like this, is going to have to be organized to the point where we are able to open dialogue. It can't be closed off. It has to be mm -hmm. open dialogue um, for yeah. it to work out, I think. But we may be talking about two different types of revolutions. I, I, I think um, my thing is this. I, I can see that conflict with, because you use poor white man as a reference. My, rev, my idea of a revolution would involve the poor people together to, mm. in different capacities, not the same capacities. Um, because if you're reaching different kinds of people, you have to have different kinds of people. Mm -hmm. You can't have the same kind of person. And that's kind of what this forum is about. We, we try to reach, we, we, fuck the, we, we say fuck the establishment. So how do we fuck the establishment back? We have to get different kinds of people dialoguing to attack it from different ways. We can't attack it from one angle. We have to attack it from six angles. Let me I mean, let me want let me want it too. When I say when I say poor mind, when I say poor white man, and when I use the word poor, I'm talking mindset. Mindset, right. And when right. I when I say when I say poor white man, what I'm really referring to is the great, the make America great again thumpers, the people who truly think that. And when I say poor, I'm truly talking about mindset. These are the white men who truly, truly, truly think that white people are superior. And I don't even speak on what's what's the phrase, white superiority, white, white supremacy. I don't even speak on white supremacy because that gives it the power that it just we have to think about the words we use. We talked about the United States. Those two words don't make sense. When we speak on white supremacy that's giving them the power directly our tongues matter if we say white supremacy it means they are supreme mm, okay. so when i speak of the poor white mindset i pity them quite honestly i i pity them i pity any any black person honestly who thinks that we're the ultimate superior it's, it's i pity anyone who thinks that they're above another human being because of the color of their skin mm. i think that's a poor mindset to live by so those type of people, when they see when they see black people, when they see young black entrepreneurs, young black thinkers, young black creators start to come into their own and be true to themselves, that's going to scare the hell out of them. <laughs> when they see that, when they see that the young black kid, the the strong black man, is no longer fearful of their society and their way of thinking, that's going to scare the hell out of them to the point that they're going to want to revolt. I don't know I in what way, but I feel like they're going to want to revolt. See, I, I believe I believe that um, I believe that the misfit label that we used earlier doesn't just apply to us. Mm -hmm. I believe that um, and I also don't I believe that the umbrella is a lot wider than what you're painting as far as the poor white person. Mm -hmm. I think I'm attacking the professional white class more than the MAGA Trumpers. Because those are the people who I have more proximity to. Because when you talk about going up the ladder scale, are poor white Trumpers really the people who are keeping us back when we keep going up a ladder? Those yeah. are not the people I interact with. In mindset, in mindset, because when I say poor, let's let's completely disband poor from financial status. There's mm -hmm. poor, there's people with a poor white man's mindset who are in positions to hire people, who are in positions to make ultimate decisions. So mm -hmm. if they automatically look 
at a black candidate for a position as less than, mm -hmm. I believe they align with that poor white mindset. And I, I, in the future, I'll do a better job explaining. No, 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 you don't have to do that. No, I, I, I'm yeah. just, um, I'm just trying to understand because, um, so, so what would that make a person like a Candace Owens? I mean, she, she that's what I'm saying. I mean, she's, because you seem to have like respect. I don't agree. I, I, I didn't go into what I think about her, but what I was referencing her was with the Cardi B situation. I respect I Candace Owens because she speaks her mind. You know what mm -hmm. I'm saying? What I say about Candace Owens is she speaks her mind. Now it's her, do I believe in not agreeing with all of her right. know, methods, terminology, et cetera, and the fact that she's pro-black, but you know what I'm saying? It's, it's, mm -hmm. I do have some questions about Candace Owens. I would love to interview Candace Owens. That would be amazing. But mm -hmm. Candace Owens still, in a way, strikes me as a Jay-Z. By your, by your exactly. you know what I'm saying, that same type of, how is she able to speak so brashly about these things, but still remain protected in a way? And she's, she's a student. And she's married outside of, it just, it don't add up. It don't add up, I'll be honest with you. So mm -hmm. I, I still have a lot of questions about Candace Owens, if I'm mm -hmm. being completely honest. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I talked to um, a candidate, and I wonder, I mean, it's not really protecting the anonymity much, but this person's running for public office currently. And we talked about a lot of deep stuff off camera. And we talked about that, um, the whole, the interracial versus, um, you know, black love. We kind of like what you talked about in your previous um, rendition of Black Voice. Mm -hmm. And um, I was making the case that it's, it's a mindset more so than the visuals. Like people get too caught up in the visuals. It's like, I mean, Love versus Virginia, 1967, made interracial marriage legal. Interracial marriage was always going to be a thing regardless of how people feel about it. Yeah. Same-sex marriage is always going to be here regardless of how people feel about it. So it's kind of like, like, what are you going to do about that? Or are you just going to keep pushing forward with whatever you got going? It doesn't make, you know, me less black because I decided to go that way or, but, but, but I definitely understand where there's divergences of thought because you have some people who think that Stand all black is the way to do it, you know, to mobilize the power. Some people think that it has to be multi-racial coalition building. Um, mine will be more a multi-mindset coalition mm. with whoever wants to join it. It's like if you down, I'm down with you. I don't give a fuck who it is. If if you if you for student loan cancellation of debt, I'll fucking ride with you. I don't give a fuck if you're a Nazi. If you're a black panther, I don't give a fuck who you are. Like, if if you want to get this goal accomplished with me, let's do it together. Fuck the bullshit, mm. you know. Like that's, but but that's so many different ways you can go with that. Like, I definitely get that. Um, but I want to kind of get what you want, what you mean by black liberation. You kind of spoke on it some, and I like the part where you talked about the young black professional class. Um, what what do you view as far as black liberation? What does that mean to you? And how do we get from point A to point B? Black liberation starts with knowledge, I believe. It starts with knowledge and community, point blank. So I, I do want to speak on Candace Owens too. A big problem I have with, with her likes and her types is 
it's not that, and I agree with you, it's not about being all black, but we have to be careful with those who disassociate themselves from black, mm -hmm. who see black as disgust, who see black as less than, because these mm -hmm. are the people that are impacted by the whole mantra of America. And when Candace and her, I don't really keep using her name, but when those types speak, when they say, when they refer to the black culture as they, them, when they say black people, it's it's not, a, it's not even always about the words you say, it's how you say it. When they say mm -hmm. black people in a distasteful type of manner, it's like, okay, you know who you're speaking of mm -hmm. and you know who you, we know who you are portraying, even if you don't even know it yourself. So it's like when people disassociate themselves with black people, those are the type of people that I like to watch out for. Cause it's like, what, what really are you standing on? Mm -hmm. um, what really are you standing on? You it's like that version of code switching. It's, um, but see, that's what I try to tell people. Obama did the same shit, but people don't say it. Like the shit he said, if you go back to some of his interviews and it, the shit that he says now, fuck, no one checks people like Obama. It's like, he's untouchable. Yeah. But he says the same shit where when these people were protesting in the streets, like, he had made these comments, like, he said something about the black men, like, he basically shit on the black <laughs> nuclear family. Like, the, he made a Father's Day comment about how, like, it's a shame all these black fathers aren't in their families' lives. And I'm like, why the fuck didn't somebody check this motherfucker for saying some shit like that? You know, because mm. that would have been anybody else, they would have been checked left and right. But it's fucking Barack Obama. It's like, oh, deaf ears. And he says this shit all the time in very slick ways, though. And mm. he just does it in his way. But you're right, Candace Owens does. She's very, like, domineering. And she says this, like, in a condescending kind of way about black people. I'm like, like yeah. did you just hear what you said then? Like, I don't care what the intent is. It's like, it's just the way you say it. Yeah. Like, Not going, going to what you were saying. Yeah, I think I think black liberation involves checking people like that and not letting people get away with saying shit just because they look like us. If they're disrespecting mm -hmm. you, yeah. check them. If it if it doesn't align with the truth, we have to check them. Um, black liberation is happening as we speak, man. Um, I truly believe that black liberation in America is happening to the point that America won't exist. It won't. America wasn't designed for black liberators. It wasn't designed for free black people. And there's going to be such a collection of people that align with similar mindsets of freedom that things are going to have to change. Mm -hmm. <laughs> things are going to have to change. Like there's no other way. I can't see it happening any other way. When you see waves and droves of black people choosing to be free and taking paths necessary to make that a reality, it's just going to scare some people, man. It's going to scare some people. It's going to scare black people too. It's going to scare black people too because the black people who don't want to be free are going to be just as scared as the white people who don't want us to be free. It's mm -hmm. new information for everyone, um, but it's happening. So. But see, that's what, I, I agree with you um, that there is this massive underground movement where, um, and I think that this has to involve politics too. It can't just be because political mindset is psychological. Yeah. It's part of the programming. And so and I believe, like I said, this system, once people break away from it, when I see people doing that, that gives me hope. It mm. gives me hope, but we have to keep going with it. And that's just one way. Me personally, I think that I think that the reparations discussion has to be a part of this 
because you can't talk about reparations without talking about money, without talking about education, without talking about healthcare, anything really, when you talk about, is it something that should be pursued? And I personally think it should be pursued. Should it be the mm -hmm. only thing? No. Reparations to me isn't a handout. You seem to you seem to also think that we acknowledge the injustices in history. So okay, let's correct those injustices. Is it mm. going to be corrected with just a paycheck? No. But reparations, I think, has to mean more than just money. It has mm. to mean more than just money. I think if you present it that way, people would be more on board with it. You know, black people, obviously. Um, I think me, me personally. I think the initial move needs to be the, the government has to acknowledge the original sin, Oof. which isn't just the Native American, the raping of the Native American people, but mm. it's also the raping of the black people. Like, I think th that has to be done first. So we, we have to have yeah. an official apology. And then I think as an initial commitment to that cause, each black person should get at least $25,000 just as an initial IOU. And then after that, we can talk about what programs can we put into place to help these people. And maybe, maybe, maybe reparations is something, maybe reparations is having someone with, with the gall and the guts of a Jay-Z mm. that can build black networks in those communities to where we do have mom and pop black businesses mom and pop banks mom and pop um business commerce you know locally you know where we don't even need the national um i guess help if, if something happens because we have self-sustainability there yeah. i think th that would be my initial view of black liberation just from an economical standpoint but also um just the initial acknowledgement that okay, the United States version of history is not the right version. We need to we need to grow out of the fucking 1776 version of that. Yeah, I I agree with you almost wholeheartedly. Okay. Um, when I said I don't I don't see America coming. I see America splitting more realistically than it coming together. And what's the most the saddest part about that is that all it would take is addressing the original sin. So I agree with you 100%. There has to be a president, there has to be a, a promoted press conference. Uh, we're doing this on this day to address this issue. The president is going to speak on the origins of America and how Black people came to this country and the, the death and destruction that we brought to that culture. That has to be addressed. And that has to be followed up with some type of compensation, advantage, reparation that has to be followed up with that and i was going to challenge you on that too because a lot of people speak about reparations but what's the real number you know what's if we're talking financial reparation what's the number so twenty-five thousand. um i think that's too low if i'm being completely no, no, honest no, but yeah. like i said it this is just an initial this is this is a this is basically a handshake like this is an agreement like okay that you're even on board with the platform. This would be mm. like, okay, I'll take you seriously if you at least commit to this. I think the issue with that though is okay. that the number is so, I mean, the number is, it, it's infinite what they owe, what they owe the black body. You know what I'm saying? Like it's, 
we should get a, a, a damn million dollar credit line per person. Like mm -hmm. it's infinite what they owe the black mm -hmm. body. So it's so hard to attach a number to it. It's only difficulty with it. No, I totally get it. No, and and like I said, I've done interviews with um, John Gower and Near Dark Radio and David Mills. He was gracious enough. Like I talked to David Mills. He wrote a piece. He had a book that get, got released not too long ago about the GDP worth of black people and how much we put into the whole slaveocracy. Mm. And I mean, basically our worth was like as much as other countries' GDPs, you know, combined. You know, that's how much, you know, we produce for this bullshit, you know, servitude system that we went under for so many years. But um, th that there's lots of publications on this. I mean, I don't know if you're familiar with Black, the, the contract of Black America, Ice Cube. Um, mm. This is more commercial, though. These are more commercial examples of what we're talking about. But um, no, I agree. $25,000 is very low. But I guess my point is that operating within this capitalistic system that we have now, we're not even getting that commitment. The mm. only thing that we have now that, that is not even in the same galaxy, the HR 40, just so people know, that Sheila Jackson Lee is proposing in Texas is a bullshit bill. It's a bullshit bill. It's a study. Everyone wants to fucking study marijuana, cannabis legalization. Everyone wants to study reparations. Motherfuckers, there's nothing to study. We mm. know that we're old money. There's nothing to study. That's just a way to keep this shit delayed as long as possible until we can talk about something else that overshadows black concerns. That's what yeah. they do. That's what the ruling class does to us. Going to your point, though, I agree. A million would be more in line with what realistically should be implemented for each person would be a million dollars. And it's not that they can't do it. They can do it. They, they can justify everything else. There's not a lot of us in this country. I mean, mm -hmm. we're 14% of the population. They can do it. We can send billions of dollars to fund wars every year. We can sure as hell help our own people here on U.S. soil. I agree. Will it happen, though? <laughs> Realistically. But, but like I said, can we even get the initial commitment? I doubt it. I doubt it because it would... Mm. <sighs> Until we disband the Constitution, no. I don't think so. Do we need, I guess my question for you will be, do, do we even need um, a reparations package to move forward as a people? No, and what's, I think reparations is almost a counterproductive conversation because of that fact. I would rather have conversations about building tables. That's, that's what I stand on. And mm -hmm. when we talk reparations, it almost sets us back 50 years, 100 years. Mm -hmm. um, it just is, it's, it's making us think backwards instead of forwards when it's all, okay. when it's all said and done. Um, okay. But to, to speak on a little bit, just of our value and how much we brought to the country. I know we're kind of wrapping up here, but I'll leave you with this. And this is something I, I might want your help on in the future. I have a theory um, that could be a dissertation. It could be a book. It could be a book with multiple volumes. Oh, it could be a movie, <laughs> but black people are the gold standard, are the new gold standard. We talk about the dollar being, the gold standard being stripped from the dollar. We talk about HBCUs and the value that black people brought to these PWIs. 
we talk about the media space and what black people do in media and how they use us as puppets. Mm. We attach ourselves to any damn thing, Twitter, Clubhouse, the podcast industry, the music industry, sports, labor. You know, it, when we attach black people to any damn thing, we are the gold standard and we control the media. We just realize that ourselves internally it'd be a hell of a lot better situation. They they know it. That's why they use us. That's why they use us in certain ways. That's why they open up these platforms and market them to our community so we can use them and make them money. They know we're the gold standard. We just don't damn know it. And it goes back to the origins of the body. Where is gold found? You know, where where is gold physically found? You know, it we we are the gold standard. And I think, we just have to wake up and realize it to sum it up, man. I think the people in my generation, myself and younger, I will say, I will keep speaking on this. There's movers and shakers that are younger than me that are teaching me to this day. Like the people that are younger than myself are, they're showing that, man. We're the gold standard. We got to realize it internally. We got to learn more about ourselves. We got to get back attached to the spirits that, that we are. You know what I'm saying? Get out of this human mindset, all of this media stuff, all of this collection stuff, physical stuff, cars, galore, chains, all this bullshit. Just, just drop it all, man. Start learning about the origins of ourselves. Get back to the roots of Africa, to the motherland of where we originally came from. Get back connected with God. Get back connected to the spirit and ignore all the bullshit. Simple as that. I appreciate the closing, man. Um, speaking on the spirituality part, I'm actually going to get some people on to sort of um, bring in the Afro-diasporic experience because I tell a lot of people, we connect, we disconnect ourselves from other black people in Latin America, Africa, Caribbean, and it's done on purpose. It, it's mm. um, the attitudes both ways now. Um, I was having a conversation with someone the other day about how um, people, this, people in this African continent view black Americans here and all this is very complicated, but, um, it's been done on purpose to sort of um, paint people a different way, but the reality is this: Black Americans aren't blacks on the subcontinent of Af on, on the continent of Africa. That experience was taken away from us. I mean, what are we supposed to do about that? I mean, we're still searching those pieces, like you're saying. We're searching for those roots, um, the Santeria, the Voodoo, uh, the Candomblé in Brazil. Um, all those shun, all the different, the different orishas in Latin America, the Caribbean, they were brought over from Nigeria, um, Yoruba land, the, the Bantu tribes, like that, that's mm. our culture. That's our real culture. Mm. But there's no connection at all. And even as an atheist, I respect that because I know that that's my heritage and stuff. Like I know that that spiritual system, that's what kept our ancestors you know, surviving East Day. Like, I get that. So how do we go from the Orishas in Nigeria to um, Catholicism, Southern Baptist, white Christianity? How do we go from that to this, you know? And that's what I'm saying, you know, it's just, there's so many different ways you can look at it. Mm. But hopefully on this forum and your forum as well, we can sort of merge the two together and learn, you know, generationally um, 
how black people are really navigating through the world, you know, spiritually, non-spiritually, and um, globally, financially, economically, and psychologically. Yeah, absolutely. And it's about soaking up information, man. It's about continuing to learn and continuing to search and not, not, you can get rabbit hole, you know, territory when you start <laughs> to look into certain things, definitely. But um, at least just, at least just making an attempt to, uh, making an attempt at wisdom, you know, uh, making an attempt at growth, making an attempt at change, unless you are completely comfortable with the things happening around you and in your own life, you know, but if you, if you're not cool with it, man, just stand up, make a change, start smacking some people in the face every now and then. <laughs> Sometimes it's necessary, man. I tell you what, man, I appreciate this conversation. I feel like down the road, we're going to need each other more than ever. Um, and we will. It's, it, I think the problem with echo chambers is that, like, whether I have different intentions than you or whatever, I think we both have, I think we both have very good intentions. And I think that that's enough that we have in common to where we can get a lot done. So, so let's build on what we can get done, like right now. You know, what we can do is educate ourselves. We can pick up a book and read that book and soak in as much information as possible, you know, and, and we kind of get to our own conclusions, but we can both agree that we can get that information shared together, talk to each other, not hate on each other, and, um, and promote, you know, what you, what you got going on, because I know you're a good person, um, just based on our conversations, and, and that's what we need to do, just spread that throughout the community, you know, and just see where it goes. Sure, for sure. Where Definitely, man. You, man. Where can people reach you if they want to get in contact with, with you? For sure. As far as social media, I'm on J Clark Real on all platforms, uh, R-E-E-L at the end. So J Clark Real on all social media platforms. That's the easiest way to get in contact with me. Uh, if we get into like any type of business and dollars or whatever that is, we'll get deeper into it. But uh, J Clark Real, the easiest way to reach me. Yeah, for sure, man. I, I like... um the fact that you can come at things at your angle. And I love that the podcasting, it feels like it, it, the podcasting space feels very liberating. Yeah, the fact that definitely. you can just, you know, have your own platform, you know, yeah. how liberating is that? You know, you can express yourself. I mean, this has been like a therapeutic session for me, man. Like, <laughs> I, was, I was so damn depressed, man, in the PhD program. And my wife, she, she was there with me during the depressive stages, man. It's you know, it takes a toll on you, you, the family, everyone's going through it, everyone can feel it. But man, having this out, just being able to talk about things like real life shit, not this crazy fabricated pop culture stuff all the time. It's just, man, they're real people that have emotions and just to be able to share this, you know, and reach millions of people, it, it makes me feel good. And I know it makes you feel good too. Oh, hell yeah. That's love, man. That's that's what I like to do, man. Um, I like to be a light. I like to learn. I like to hear people's ideas and just make people feel good, bro. And it doesn't even involve, you know, complimenting them necessarily. It's just hearing them out and listening and being mm -hmm. attentive to what they're saying and being able to bounce ideas off each other. So mm -hmm. it's like, I love, I love these too, man. That's why I'm in the podcast space. That's why I love public speaking connecting with other people, sharing ideas. It's so liberating, man. It's it's truly freedom when you can just get on these platforms and speak and not have to align to certain principles and have people tell you how to speak. That's why I couldn't survive in corporate, man. I ain't wanna, I couldn't be that guy, man. I, mean, <laughs> I couldn't be that guy, bro. I just, I talk a certain way, I move a certain way. 
you know, I, I just couldn't conform. But I appreciate but, you having me, though. I appreciate you having me, man. Yeah, me too, man. And and just for the audience, man, I definitely, I got kind of riled up early, man. I don't know. It's just, I get so, man, emotional, with, especially with these fucking political slime balls, man. I just get <laughs> so damn emotional, man. I swear. And I need to, I need to, I don't need to tone it down, but it's just like I need to redirect it maybe in a different way. Because I'm learning through this podcast experience, too. You know, I try to get my guests more to the platform. I don't want to be the one talking most of the time. And I feel like with you, at, at times, like, I definitely didn't allow you to blossom, maybe. Maybe I'm completely wrong. But I, I think it's because I'm more intimate, you know, with our conversations that we had in the past. Yeah, and that's why that's why we can have these... Man, Kiko, we can talk for hours, man. I ain't gonna lie. But that's how we <laughs> that's how we have these long, longer conversations, man. I always appreciate them. I appreciate learning from you. I appreciate picking your mind, man. And yeah, we're aligned, brother. So we're gonna do some work in the future for sure. Some okay, man. Some more. Hell work yeah, in the man. Future. Um, solidarity, man. See you later. Have a great day, beautiful people.